0: They Shall Expel Demons, by Derek Prince, Part 2, Chapter 5. People I Failed to Help It would be natural to assume that, after my wonderful deliverance from depression, I began immediately to share these exciting truths with my congregation. Unfortunately, this was not so. There were two main reasons. The first, quite simply, was pride. I felt it was my duty as a pastor to live on a higher spiritual level. the member of my congregation. I was supposed to be the person with the answer to their problems, the one to whom they came for help. What would happen if I were suddenly to announce publicly that I had been delivered from a demon? Many of my members would have shuddered at the mere mention of the word demon. Perhaps they would no longer respect me as a pastor. Perhaps they would no longer come and listen to my sermons. I would be left without a congregation. Deliverance from a demon, I decided, was a personal matter it was not appropriate for a pastor to share such things with his congregation. But there was another reason for my reticence. I had been identified since my conversion with the Pentecostal movement and had given assent to their main doctrinal positions. One such widely held position was that a person who had been saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and had spoken in tongues, could never afterward need deliverance from a demon. In fact, it would have been considered irreverent even to make such a suggestion. I had never heard or read a reasoned scriptural Presentation of this doctrinal position. Most Christians seemed to consider it so obvious that it did not need support from the scripture. From time to time, however, someone quoted the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 36 Quote, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. End quote, as if that settled everything. Just a few verses previously, however, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. According to this earlier passage, being free indeed is not automatic, but conditional on knowing the truth of God's word and walking in obedience to it. This left me with some difficult questions. Suppose that at any time I was not as obedient as I ought to be, would I need further deliverance? How could I know in personal experience that I really was free indeed? I concluded that I was not in a position to answer these questions immediately. I also recognized that religious tradition is one of the most powerful influences molding the life of a minister. To break away from tradition requires real strength and conviction. It was one thing, I reasoned, for me to have received my own personal experience of deliverance. It would be quite another for me to come out and teach others that a spirit-baptized Christian might need deliverance from a demon. Many of my fellow Pentecostals, and doubtless other sections of the church too, would immediately classify me as a heretic. Actually, I was not quite sure, myself, that what had happened to me would be taken as a pattern for others. Perhaps my case was unique, if so, even to suggest to my congregation that they might need deliverance from a demon would undermine their faith and destabilize them. In the end, I shared my experience of deliverance only with my wife and said nothing about it in public. Even though Christians came to me struggling with problems they could not resolve, I never suggested that their problems might be due to demons from which they needed to be delivered. I am ashamed to say that I shut out this possibility from my own thinking. This unscriptural decision set limits to the effectiveness Of my ministry. Some of the people I sought to help came through to real freedom and victory, but others progressed a certain distance and then came up against what seemed to be an invisible barrier. They never attained their full potential as Christians. Marcus and Roger. Today I realize that I failed in my pastoral responsibility. I grieve that I did not give them the help they needed. Two particular cases stand out. They stand out in my mind. The first was Marcus, a Jew from Germany. He and his older brother were the only two members of a large family who did not die in Hitler's gas chambers. Then in England, Marcus had a powerful personal encounter with Jesus of Nazareth and was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Many times when praying with him, I heard him speak clearly and fluently in an unknown tongue. I am familiar with German and know that was not the language he was speaking. All the time I knew Marcus, he was a bold and faithful witness to Jesus as his Savior and Messiah. Yet he never seemed to enter the deep inner peace that Jesus promises to those who believe in him. Apart from the trauma of the Holocaust, Marcus had another emotional problem in his background. When he was born, his mother had wanted a daughter and would not accept the fact that he was a boy. Throughout his childhood, she dressed him as a girl and treated him in every way as if he were a female. From time to time, Marcus enjoyed periods of real peace and victory, but then relapsed into moods of black despair. He was tormented by a sense of guilt that he could neither explain nor resolve. At times, to punish himself, he would put his fingers in the door and then close the door on them. He was even driven to drink his own urine. After these episodes, he would come to me for help. Quote, "'Can't you get this devil out of me?' end quote, he would cry. But I closed my mind to the possibility that he could really need deliverance from a demon. After all, I had heard him speak in tongues." After I gave up my pastorate in London, I gradually lost contact with Marcus, but through a mutual friend, I learned that he had undergone a prefrontal lobotomy, the surgical severing of one or more nerve tracts in the frontal lobe of the brain in order to treat intractable mental disorders. Apparently, this treatment was of no permanent benefit to Marcus, however, and some years later he died prematurely. Looking back now, I feel I should have been able to help Marcus if I had been willing to acknowledge the demonic element in his problem. The other case was Roger, a young man who came to the Lord in a street meeting at which I was preaching. He had a powerful conversion, was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and became an eager, dedicated witness and worker for the Lord. In fact, he put some of our other members to shame by his zeal and dedication. Nevertheless, Roger had one besetting sin, a very embarrassing one that no one talked about in those days. It was masturbation. He hated it and struggled against it, but could never get permanent victory. Roger would come to Lydia and me and say, Quote, Pray for me, End quote. One time we prayed for him from 10 at night until about 2 in the morning. By that time Roger was saying, quote, It's leaving me. It's leaving me. Don't stop praying. I can feel it. It's in my fingers. It's going, End quote. Victory seemed within our grasp, but somehow it always eluded us. In all the years that I knew Roger, he never got victory over this problem. The Probe and the Forceps Marcus and Roger are but two examples of people I failed to help because I did not deal with their problems as demonic. It was like an incident that occurred during World War II while I was serving as a medical orderly with the British forces in North Africa. A British soldier had come into our reception station with a shrapnel wound wound, caused by a bomb exploding near him. He took off his shirt, exposing a small puncture wound in one shoulder. The edge of the wound was slightly black. Thinking of the ready-to-use sterile dressing that was part of our medical equipment, I said to the medical officer, Shall I get a first field dressing, sir. Quote, No, that's not what's needed, the doctor replied. Quote, Bring me a probe. End quote. The doctor had the man sit down on a chair. Then he stuck the little silver stick into the man's wound and wiggled it around gingerly for a few moments. Suddenly the man let out a yelp and went up in the air. Quote, Now fetch me the forceps. End quote, the doctor said. I gave him the forceps which he inserted into the wound in the area where the probe had located a foreign body. Cautiously he extracted a little piece of black metal. After cleaning the wound he finally said to me, quote, Now you can bring the dressing. End quote. Afterward he explained, quote, You see, the piece of shrapnel that caused the puncture was still in there. If you just cover that shrapnel up with a dressing, without removing it, it will be a continuing source of infection and will cause further complications. As I look back over my period of ministry in London, I realize that at times I made the same kind of mistake as I did in the reception station during the war. In helping some of the people who came to me, I tried to apply a first field dressing to a wound that still contained a demonic source of infection. Before I could really help such people, I needed two essential items of spiritual equipment the probe of discernment and the forceps of deliverance. In the chapters that follow, I will describe how God moved in my life to provide me with these two essential tools of ministry. This is the end of chapter 5.